1: Hey, 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 what's cracking? This is Darren Fatman McDuffie, your host for tonight, and welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. So I have a lot of people on my switchboard, which means Dr. C. is very, very popular, and I don't know who is actually Dr. C. so I'm going to have to ask if you're Dr. C. to hit one on the switchboard so I can see you and bring you on. Before I bring Dr. C. Becker on, um, just a couple of announcements here. If you have not connected with me on Facebook, please do so. My Facebook is Facebook.com. I am the Fat And that's I, the letter M, the Fat Man, and fat is spelled P-H-A-T. Uh, connect with me on Twitter as well. Twitter is Fat underscore Man, and you can connect with me on Twitter as well. Uh, Before I bring Dr. Seabecker on, I got to vent, y'all. I just got to vent. I've had numerous problems with my Internet. I've had AT&T out here about five or six times. They cannot figure out what's going wrong with the Internet, so I'm at the point where I'm just about to yank the whole thing out. But uh, they came by yesterday and fixed it. I thought I would have to postpone the show, but obviously I don't. And uh, I'm just really frustrated with uh, AT&T at this point. I had the vent, so I got that out and uh, waiting on Dr. Seebecker. Dr. Seebecker, if you are out there, please hit the number one on your switchboard so I'll be able to see you and I can bring you on. So I'm not sure where um, she is here, so let me try to see if I cannot. Dr. Seebecker, is that you? One, two. Okay, that's not her. Dr. Seebecker, are you there? Dr. Seebecker, are you there?
2: If you're talking to me, it's I'm not.
1: Hello, is it Dr. Seebecker? Welcome. This is perfectly healthy. That's not her. Dr. Seebecker, is that you? Hi, I'm here. Oh, okay. I've never had this many people in my switchboard, so I have no idea who is who. And there's a bunch of 503 numbers, which I know is Oregon, where you are, but I just didn't know if that was you or not. So I didn't read your bio. Let me read your bio before I bring you on, okay? Sure. Okay, let me do that. All right, y'all. This is right, y'all. I've never had this many people on my switchboard. I just started this show probably back in September, but I'm glad everyone is tuning in to actually hear Dr. Seebecker. It seems like she's very popular. But uh, Dr. Allison Seebecker has worked in the nutritional field since 1988 and is a 2005 graduate of the National College of Natural Medicine, where she earned her doctorate in naturopathic medicine and her master's in oriental medicine. Dr. Siebeck is the medical director of the SIBO Center for Digestive Health at NCNM Clinic in Portland, Oregon, where she specializes in the treatment of SIBO. She is an instructor of advanced gastroenterology at NCNM, teaches continuing education classes for physicians, and is the author of the educational website SIBOinfo.com and is writing a book, Synthesizing the SIBO Data into One Source. In 2005 and 2013, she received the Best in Naturopathy Award from the Townsend Letter for, uh, for her articles, Traditional broth in Health and Disease and Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth, Often Overlooked Cause of IBS. And we will be discussing that a little bit more tonight. So let me bring her back on. Dr. C. Becker, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you tonight? Hi.
3: It's so good to talk to you again.
1: I know, right? I just talked to you probably, what, like a month ago when we had you on the Wellness Warrior uh, podcast?
3: Yeah, that was really fun. So I'm looking forward to this tonight.
1: Yeah, I don't have Diane with me, my partner in crime, so I'm just doing it alone. I'm doing it solo tonight, but it should be a fun show. Definitely. <laughs> yep, yep. So let's go ahead and get started. I have a ton of people in the switchboard, so I, I had like 24 questions here, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to them all. But if you have a question and you want to dial in, for those who are not on the switchboard already, the number is 646-716-9371. Again, 646-716-9371. And if you're listening and you have a question, please hit one on your um on your keypad and I'll know that you have a question and I'll bring you on to ask uh, Dr. Seebecker your question. So let's get right into it, Dr. Seebecker. So what brought you on this journey and uh, about knowing more about SIBO? I know the story myself, but I'd like for you to share it with the audience.
3: Oh yeah, it's it's like so many people's story. I had digestive problems ever since I was a child, and had been searching for a cause. And I had been to naturopathic medical schools, still couldn't find a cause. And I saw all the all the best teachers. At... Are, are are you hearing me? Okay, Darren.
1: Yeah, I'm hearing you.
3: Oh, perfect. I keep hearing a. Uh, saying muted and unmuted, so I, I got a little distracted. Okay. Um, yeah, so I saw all these wonderful doctors, and no one could figure it out. And so that sure meant that there was missing information. And finally, when I um, when I, I was – I had originally read Break Into the Vicious Cycle that um, Elaine Gottschall wrote that describes this specific carbohydrate diet. I'd read it when I was in school, but I just didn't have the time to pay attention to it well enough because I was so busy. So when I reread it, it kind of started coalescing, and um, she was describing, basically describing SIBO, but she didn't call it that. And then and then my uh, my my gastroenterology professor had heard of the term SIBO. And when we were talking about her book, he mentioned that term to me. And that just, that was all I, I kind of needed. I started looking on PubMed and reading all about it. And, I, I mean, for goodness sakes, there have been all these articles about it. And so I just felt like I knew so many other people like me who had... Uh, mysterious digestive troubles that the, the best of the best couldn't seem to help, and so that just, just really fired me up. I wanted to help other people who had similar problems to me. That's that's kind of the story.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Now, for those you mentioned Sibo out there, and, and um, we've, I, I mentioned that we were on another podcast, Wellness Warrior podcast, and for those people out there who might not be familiar with Sibo, can you describe it for them?
3: Oh yeah. So it stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth, and um, it is just what it sounds like. It's when a whole bunch of bacteria make a home for themselves. Uh, They colonize the small intestine, which they're not supposed to do. And these are the bacteria that would normally be in the large intestine where where they're supposed to be and where they do good things for us. But in the um, in the small intestine, that's the improper location, and they just create a lot of havoc um, and create a lot of symptoms for us. That's, that's basically the, the shorthand of what it is.
1: Okay, okay. Dr. Seebecker, can you dial back in for me? I'm getting some kind of clicking noise on the other end. Can you just hang up and dial back in um, real quick? Oh, sure. Okay. No problem. Live radio, folks. I'm going to wait for her to just dial back in real quick and see if we can't get rid of that clicking noise because I'm hearing it in my headphones. I know it's if I can hear it, you probably can hear it. It's, it's annoying. So give me a second here and let me see. She calls back in here. So bear with me a minute here. Okay, you
4: there? Hi, I'm here.
1: Okay, sounds a little bit better. All right, that clicking noise is going there. All right, so oh, yeah. You talk, yeah, so you said what SIBO was. Now, what are the symptoms uh, for for SIBO, Dr. Becker? C Becker?:
3: Well, um, the, the main symptoms are digestive symptoms, and they're the same symptoms as IBS. So it's bloating, abdominal bloating, and that could either be the, the sensation as if you're bloating, or the physical swelling, the distension, um, where the abdomen swells out. So bloating and then either constipation or diarrhea or a mixture of the two. And then abdominal pain, which could be felt just as discomfort or it could be cramps, but some kind of, some level of pain. Those are the main symptoms of IBS. Now, um, not everyone with SIBO has all of those symptoms all at the same time. Sometimes people have figured out ways to calm one of those symptoms and so they may mm-hmm. not be experiencing it anymore. Or maybe they've taken some supplements or, you know, done something. Um, but then additionally, there's some other digestive symptoms that are pretty common that go along with it. Those were the main ones, but some other ones could be um, acid reflux, nausea. Um, sometimes people have a sensation that, um, or a feeling that food just sits in, sits in their stomach and doesn't go down, move downward. And then there can be excessive flatulence and um, burping that goes along with it as well. So, uh, so those are pretty common as well. And then on top of it, there's, um, oftentimes there's systemic symptoms um, like fatigue or lethargy. And um, about half the people with SIBO have leaky gut, and that can lead to systemic symptoms, which could, which could be anything. It could be skin rashes, um, headaches. You know, it could just be a whole host of things. And lastly, um, adding into that is that there are, like, over 35 associated diseases that seem to go along with SIBO. Sometimes they're underlying causes of SIBO. Sometimes they're just coexisting, and we don't really know why. And then Mm -hmm. sometimes they're effects of SIBO. You know, that SIBO kind of makes those happen. So um, when you take a look at all these diseases that could Go along with SIBO. My gosh, the symptoms could really rack up, and and definitely no no one person is the same as the next in their expression of of SIBO. Everybody has a slightly different different presentation, and I wanted to mention that because I have some patients that sort of feel like odd person out because they'll say, "Well, I don't have the typical sim- uh, symptoms. You know, I have this other symptom, but but you know, we'll run a test and." or they've had a test run and they, they definitely have SIBO, and when it's treated, those other symptoms go away, and that could be, could be anything. I mean, sometimes it's a mood symptom. Right. So, so that, that's the recap on the symptoms.
1: Right. So you mentioned uh, earlier that um, the, normally the bacteria will uh, inherit the large intestines. It's when SIBO actually occurs when the small intestines start getting some of the bacteria. Is there any reason why that actually happens?
3: Oh gosh, yeah. I think we were talking about this. Um, I, I don't know if we got to this last time we had an interview, but um, the causes are so fascinating. So I like to group it as, um, as three sort of underlying ways that the bacteria could, could back up and accumulate in the small intestine. The first is decreased motility, um, well, and specifically that's the migrating motor complex, or the MMC, when that is decreased or not functioning right. Um, And I'll describe that more in a minute. And then there's obstruction. So um, obstruction would be, you know, that's something physically um, partially blocking the inside of the tube. And so that could be like a scar band or an adhesion. It could be a tumor, whether that would be benign or cancerous, um, just something that's physically obstructing so that um, the Something could back up behind whatever the obstruction is, and then last would be non draining pockets, and for that, I mean surgical blind loop syndrome, although that surgery is not common anymore but um, that 's one thing, and then the other would be um, diverticuli in the small intestine. those are little balloon like um, out pouches that form on the uh, sort of on the outside of the intestine where of fluid and bacteria could accumulate, and there's really no way for it to get cleaned out. So those are the three main ways. But the um, the decreased motility seems to be the most common, definitely the most common. And there's a bunch of ways that could happen. So that migrating motor complex is this movement, um, this parasaltic like movement, but it's more propulsive. More forcefully cleaning than um, than peristalsis is, and it's it's meant to clean bacteria out of the small intestine, and that's one of you know, one of the most important functions we have for not accumulating bacteria, and so a whole a whole host of things can interfere with that, um, like some diseases. So these these could be chronic diseases like diabetes, or scleroderma or uh, scleroderma or hypothyroid. These can also motility. Or it could be acute disease like gastroenteritis. And this is gastroenteritis is uh, traveler's diarrhea, food poisoning, or stomach flu. This is what people normally call it. And um, this is considered to be the most common way people can get SIBO, is post-gastroenteritis. And this is also called post-infectious IBS. And Dr. Pimentel is the one who's doing all the work on this, phenomenal work, and his theory is that uh, post-infectious IBS is is the same thing as SIBO, so um, so that that's some of the ways that it can happen. It can happen well. oh, and a few others are um, from uh, pain killing opioid narcotic drugs. Uh, so this is pretty common because people are pretty familiar. If you ever took one of those painkillers, they cause constipation. They just sort of stop the movement in the um, gastrointestinal tract. And this is pretty common for people. They might go for a surgery, maybe a wrist surgery, a knee surgery, or maybe they had like kidney stones or something and they needed some pain medicine. And then that slows the function enough to allow backup of the bacteria and then they get get SIBO. And um, another drug that's linked is proton pump inhibitors, although at this point it's not clear that they're a direct cause for sure we know they're a risk factor. And so proton pump inhibitors inhibit the acid, the hydrochloric acid of the stomach, and that acid is needed to kill bacteria. So when we inhibit it, we could allow incoming bacteria um, not to be killed. That's a protective measure that's missing.
1: Yeah, I wanted to actually ask a question about that later. Um, this this came to me last night when I was preparing for the show, and I wanted to just ask you, um, most of our immune system is... is uh, Comprising our gut, does SIBO compromise that immunity just when someone having SIBO makes them more susceptible to a lot of different things?
3: I think so. Um, I don't know that for sure, but I think so because it just makes sense to me. If you've got this overgrowth of bacteria, that the immune system will be working overtime <laughs> to try and work against it, um, mm. and then it, it's likely to get exhausted. And if that were to happen, so you see low secretory IGA, which is so common, so many people have that. It's a marker for mucosal uh, immunity in the intestines. And so then, um, then of course, if it lowers, you could be more prone to get to get other infections. I I think it could be a vicious cycle.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd agree with you because I know that that the whole gut thing and the compromising of the gut makes people a little bit more open to. Uh, everything else that's out there. You mentioned uh, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, and I'm putting this together in my mind as SIBO is a precursor to IBS. Is that a correct statement?
3: Yeah, so definitely. Um, Although I could start out by saying that studies that are done on this, not all IBS is SIBO. So not everybody with IBS winds up testing positive for SIBO. And there's various different statistics on this, but in general, I'd say the average is 60, maybe 65% of IBS um, is SIBO. There are studies that show much higher rates. Um, Dr. Pimentel did one that showed 84% of IBS is SIBO. But certainly not all of it is. There are plenty of other diseases and reasons why a person could have those common symptoms of bloating, constipation, or diarrhea, and pain. There are plenty of things that could co- cause that. But... Um, Putting that aside, uh, SIBO, it has the exact same symptoms of IBS, so uh, for most people with it, um, excepting those people that have atypical symptoms, for most people with it, they're also going to be categorized as having IBS, and so um, definitely SIBO causes those symptoms, so SIBO causes IBS in people who have SIBO, because it's the bacteria in the small intestine that generate those symptoms.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned this on the, uh, when we interviewed you before, and I, it kind of struck me because I actually went back and listened to that <laughs> interview again. Um, you said that this can actually reoccur if you don't take care of it properly, so it is something that can keep happening over and over again. Um, how do we keep this from reoccurring, from that happening? Oh,
3: this is, this is such a hard one because, um, I mean, there are, there are some treatment strategies, that we know that we use for prevention, that Dr. Pimentel um, came up with when he first created the algorithm to treat to treat this. Um, so, actually, let me tell you what those are. The main preventions are the use of some form of a lower carbohydrate diet, and up to you know up to the person. Uh, there's there's a diet that was created by Dr. Pimentel specifically for this purpose, and it's called the Cedar Sinai diet. But um, I think it's completely fine to use whatever form of a reduced carbohydrate diet you'd like to use. And so the concept there is so that you don't stimulate regrowth of the bacteria by throwing them a lot of food, you know. Mm -hmm. That's one thing, diet. And then the second thing is a prokinetic or a motility agent. And there are um, pharmaceutical options and natural options. And um, the pharmaceutical options, So well, actually, before I say what they are, what these do is they stimulate that migrating motor complex to help clear out the bacteria from the small intestine. So that's the two key things. You don't want to throw extra food down there for them, and then you want to make sure they're getting cleaned out. So the, um, the pharmaceutical options, that the main ones that are used are um, LDN, low-dose nalchexone, um, and low-dose erythromycin. Erythromycin is an antibiotic, but it's, it's famous in, in its lower-dose for stimulating motility, it's, it's used to stimulate stomach motility in gastroparesis patients. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then has replaced um, tegaserod as a prokinetic in terms of its safety. Those are ones um, that can be used pharmaceutically. And then there are natural ones uh, like ginger, ginger root. That's always been famous for helping with nausea and help, helping clear the stomach out of, you know, when you're very full. And then um, there's a product called Modal Pro that a lot of naturopaths like to use to stimulate motility. And then there's also Iberogast. Iberogast is a European herbal combination formula that's been studied to be shown as effective, if not even more effective, than um, some pharmaceutical prokinetics. So these these can all be tried. So some kind of a uh, low-carb diet with um, with the use of a prokinetic, And the prokinetics are standardly taken at night before bed so that, while you're sleeping, the migrating motor complex will be stimulated because the migrating motor complex works during the fasting state or in the fasting state, which is between meals and overnight when we're sleeping. So those are the, the strategies that we use at this point. But what's so tough about this question about uh, how to prevent relapse is that Really what we need to do is try to fix the underlying causes, and that is really hard because currently right now there's no known way of uh, making the cells, the nerve cells that generate the migrating motor complex, um, to make those cells repair and heal and um, come back. We don't know how to do that. That is the research Dr. Pimentel actually is working on right now. And um, the poor man, we're all just waiting for him to to give us this research out. You know, it's a lot of pressure. Um, And then, you know, obstruction. I mean, certainly if there was some sort of um, tumor, that can be removed. But things like adhesions um, and scar scar bands, if you try to surgically remove those, often you just get more adhesions and scar bands. So in that case, you could refer to um, visceral manipulation or physical therapist, but these are, these are not easy things to address. Um, Diverticuli in the small intestine, I mean, that's a really hard place to get to. That would be, you know, major surgery to remove those, uh, which, you know, a surgeon may not even be willing to do. So, so these underlying causes are difficult, and it's where, it's where we're really thwarted right now. So we just, you know, we're doing, doing what we can do, but then at that level it gets tough. And, and thank God there's, you know, dedicated researchers working on some of these issues.
1: Yeah. With with respect to diet, I know um, I, I'll share the honest. I have candida, so I'm working on that now. And, and and one of the things with candida is they tell you to avoid sugar or avoid starches that might turn into sugar. Would that be the same thing as SIBO? Do I need to avoid sugar or do I need to avoid starches, or is it just something totally different?
3: Yeah, it's really similar, actually. Um, they both love carbs, both bacteria and yeast love carbs, although I will say that it seems that yeast like the s- simple carbs even more so than bacteria. Bacteria, what they most like um, are what are called prebiotics, which are just various forms of what we know of as fiber. It's kind of the same thing, prebiotic, um and fiber. So that would be, um, you know, all the things we know of as fiber, like pectin and um, the gums and... Um, uh, various other things, as well as um, the short-chain fibers that the low FODMAP diet has identified, and those are the oligosaccharides. So those are um, FOS and GOS. GOS is uh, one of the fiber sugar components in beans that are very mm-hmm. famous for giving flatulence from beans. It comes from the GOS. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so those sorts of um, fibers... Uh, are what the bacteria most like, um, then, um, but they, they would certainly eat sugar and starch. And so that's that's a good question because what winds up happening with so many people with, with SIBO is that since the bacteria are located high up uh, where they're not supposed to be, foods that we should be able to just digest and absorb into our body easily uh, could now feed the bacteria. And so good examples of this would be starch and, um, and, and, and simple sugars that would, would just normally absorb before ever reaching the bacteria down in the large intestine. But now, since the bacteria are up higher, uh, they can get a hold of starch as well. And so many SIBO patients are intolerant to starch. Uh, now, some aren't, there's a spectrum of tolerance in SIBO. There's a spectrum of symptom expression and severity. So, you know, everybody's different, but many people find um, that they can't even, can't even have starch. Now, others can. So, like, particularly when people are underweight, a lot of SIBO patients are underweight because food, um, there's various reasons for that, but food triggers symptoms, so a lot of times SIBO patients are under eating. Um, but so in this case, we can try the starches. We can try a white potato or white rice without the fiber, you know, skinless potato and and refined white rice to see if the starch will be tolerated. And some people do tolerate it, and then that can help them with stabilizing their weight. But so basically the diets are pretty similar, I would say. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Now, with that, you said something about white rice and potatoes, and I just actually found out I'm sensitive to to white rice. Would food sensitivities have any um, correlation with... um would SIBO or exacerbate SIBO at all?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, I think a lot of food sensitivities, I mean, I guess when we say food sensitivities in terms of when you've tested with um, the blood for immune reactions, that I think would correlate a little bit more so with the leaky gut that can mm-hmm. be caused by SIBO. Because in that circumstance, um, any you know any sort of partially... improperly digested food could cross through the leaky gut and come into the blood. And then because it's too large, larger than what it should be, the immune system can uh, say that it's a foreign invader and then Mm -hmm. make an immune response to it. So that's certainly one way I think um, food sensitivities could come from SIBO. But then there's just the general thing of, People are eating foods that should be digested fine, should be absorbed fine, and now they're reacting to them, and they're reacting to them with digestive symptoms. You know, so, so that's a person who tries to eat some oatmeal and, you know, or a baked good or something, something very carbohydrate that would have been tolerated before and now is not, or they eat a high FODMAP, high oligosaccharide vegetable, and now that's giving them symptoms. And, um, and they're confused. You know, why, why is this happening? So there's different ways, I think, that SIBO can, can cause food reactions. Somebody recently asked me if, um, if eating, you know, if you were to eat your uh, foods that you're sensitive to, could that cause SIBO? And um, I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. But... I suppose um I suppose it could dysregulate the immune system or exhaust the immune system if you were doing that, um, to a degree where then then the immune system couldn't fight off the SIBO as well. But I don't know that for sure. That would just be theoretical. I know the yeah. other ways are for sure, you know, the decreased motility, obstruction and non draining pockets, but um but I think that's that's an interesting idea.
1: Yeah, would it make sense to just pull those uh, inflammatory foods out of the diet if you know that you have SIBO? It just seems like it would make a lot of sense to me.
3: Yeah, the only problem with that is that so many patients and so many doctors find that, that um, immune blood testing, many doctors say they don't find it to be reliable. Other doctors do find it to be reliable, but I've heard from a lot of doctors who have a lot of experience, much more experience than I do in this, that... Um, that say, you know, when you have a leaky gut, it means you can react to anything at any given time. And so uh, how can you really identify what you need to pull out? Because, you know, if that's true, then sort of the cause here would be the leaky gut. And you'd really need to get that sealed up so that you wouldn't be reacting to all these foods. So, I mean, if, I think if you reacted to something consistently, um, maybe you've done a few, a few of these food allergy blood test, and always a certain thing comes up, or, you know, every time you eat a food, you react with, you know, maybe a headache or a rash or some nasal mucus. Yeah, then for sure, pull that out. That's clearly not right. But if if it's something you never really noticed a reaction to and it only came up once on a test, I don't know. I think doctors have different opinions about
1: that. Okay. Okay. I guess we're gonna to go to the phone lines. I have a ton of people questions, so let me see if I can take a question now and Hey, caller from the four one five. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi, my name's Ashley.
5: And um I have a son who has SIBO. He he was diagnosed at only two and a half years old.
1: Hi, Ashley, how are you doing?
5: Fine, thanks. I'm <laughs> kind of kinda of worried about my 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 time, so I'm super excited to be able to talk with you guys today. Um, So we've been seeing lots of gastroenterologists, and um, for for one thing, I mean, I had to really campaign to get him tested for SIBO, and it's it's been really tough, but finally when we did get him tested, and he was positive, and that's what I had thought he had had. Um, his His doctor has just done um two courses of flagel and and that's it, and he says that's pretty much all we can do because he's so my son's so young and I was wondering what what our other options are because there's there's got to be other things we can do
3: well first of all, let me just say I'm so sorry to hear of uh, you and your son's trouble i can I can tell how horribly this is affecting you. I can hear it in your voice it's so hard to watch we all know to watch our loved ones struggle with something. And it's so hard when diseases hit really young ones. It's, it's alarming how many little young ones do have digestive problems and get diagnosed with SIBO. Um, but, but in answer to your question, there are other options. In particular, um, if we're going to talk about pharmaceutical antibiotics, the main antibiotic that's used for SIBO is rifaximin, and that has been studied for use in um, children. The study that uh, that came out last year on this for children used um, the youngest age was three years old. So your son's, are, you know, he's two and a half right now, right? Oh, he was diagnosed at two and a half. Um, he he just turned three. He turned three. So you know. It should, be, it should be acceptable then to use this. What's, um, what's good to know about rifaximin is that it doesn't absorb into the blood. So it's mm-hmm. a, a safer option, and that's one of the reasons it, it can be used. Um, so the, um, let me just see if I have it in front of me. I, I'll look and see what the, one second, what the dosage is. Mm-hmm. So that's
5: great, because what, I, what my understanding is it's not FDA-approved for children under 12, and so that's what I'm getting. I'm getting a lot of pushback from various GI docs because they said that they we can't use it for him.
3: Well yeah, um that is true. It's not FDA approved yet. the study that was done was done in Italy. Um but at least, you know, so I don't know I don't know how to advise you to to uh you know speak with your gastroenterologists and um I understand their their concerns. But it mm-hmm. has been studied and it was shown to be safe. Um and mm-hmm. we, we need to go. so the um let me see, one second, let me see if I can find it here. Okay, so the um, dosage used in the study, and the study was by Scarpellini, by the way, if you want to look that up. Okay, um, great. Actually, I think I have it linked on my website underneath antibiotics, but it uh, was um, 600 milligrams a day. And that was used okay. for three-year-olds. So that's one option. Now, another option is herbal antibiotics. Um, and there's various herbal antibiotics that we use. The main ones are um, allicin, which is an extract that comes out of, that comes out of garlic, and then there's um, oregano, um, there's berberine complex, and there's also neem and cinnamon. Now, I haven't looked closely at each of these herbs to see how safe or not safe they are for a three-year-old, but um, I think you could probably do some research on that and figure it out. And, um, and then, you know, dosages for that would be, I would say, a third of the adult dose, and okay. I have I have quite of I, I, I think I have um information on this on my website or in some of my articles as well that you can read about. But um, herbal I find herbal antibiotics to be just about the same effectiveness as regular antibiotics. And I very often have patients that um, that we put on them, and then they they feel they often instantly feel better. And then we repeat their tests, and you know their gas scores have gone down, and um, they'll say to me. I I didn't believe it was going to work, and mm-hmm. they said I only did it because you said to do it. But mm-hmm. I just didn't think it was going to work. So um, I always like to make sure that you know I mention this so that people know they really do work. <laughs> they, they are very, very effective. And one last thing is that um, if your um, if your son has tested positive and um, even if he has, even if he has, and I'll, I'll mention this for everyone else um, listening. It, uh, for people who test positive for methane gas or if they have constipation, a different strategy is needed. So um, in that case, rifaximin, you know, the antibiotic you already use, which is, uh, or here I use, is metronazol or rifaximin plus neomycin has been shown to be way more effective than a single antibiotic. And if it's going to be herbal antibiotic then um, the only herbal antibiotic we've been able to identify that works on the methane-producing organisms is the allicin that comes from garlic. So if he had that, then you'd want to use those options.
5: Okay. Well, that's interesting that there's something derived from
3: garlic because one one thing that
5: was a big breakthrough for our family was going with the low fodmap diet that really changed things. Before that, he was really he was losing weight. We were having all kinds of, of problems, but. Um, but once we went with a low FODMAP and, and, and took garlic out of, you know, out of his diet and onion and others, they used him so much better. So, so I was... Well, um, this,
3: this is a really good point that you bring up, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this because um, it's very important for people to know that while, while garlic is a high FODMAP,
4: this,
3: this Allison component is, does not appear to be fermentable. Um so okay. I don't think that that has the okay. FOS in it. Um the first because okay. that's what we see. we see people are not they do not experience the same um reactions that they do when they have whole garlic. It's, it's not whole. It's certainly, Is that your son? <laughs> yes, yeah, that was him. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly um it's certainly not whole garlic. It's um it's a very specific extract that's a purified out of garlic. So it's very important for people to know that they can feel comfortable to use all things, even while on low fodmap diet. And also the okay. other thing that you mentioned is very very important. The low fodmap diet helps so many people, and I'm so glad to hear that he had relief with that. Oh yeah. Hey,
1: Ashley. Yes, Ashley, I got yes. I got to. I got to cut your question short. I got a lot of people in the switchboard. I got to get sure. to them. Okay.
5: No problem. Right. Totally understand. Thanks so much for your time. All
1: right. Thank you for calling, in, Thanks. Ashley. Bye. All right, Doctor Seebecker, I'm gonna ask you this question. We had so much fun with this on the other podcast. How many times is it normal to farm in a day?
6: Oh, I I'm, I'm gonna get in trouble for this one
1: because <laughs> the last
3: time last time we talked about it, I just gave you the average number. You know, it was basically mm-hmm. around nine a day, eight or nine a day. But in reality, um there's a difference between the genders <laughs> this is what
1: might out, trouble.
3: So, you know, um, if arguments occur between the genders after this interview, please don't blame it on me. (laughs) But here's the deal. Uh, Women, on average, um, expel flatus about seven times a day, and Mm. men expel flatus about 12 times a day. So men are
1: more flatulent. That wouldn't surprise me because we we would sit around and laugh about farting anyway, so it doesn't surprise me at all (laughs) that men do it more. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Right. <laughs> I and mean, you some interesting things about that are you know it could be as low as three, it could be as many as forty and still be within normal but um what's really interesting about farting well there's so many interesting things about farting, but um is that many people don't feel it um, you know it's a normal process to just have some gas come out of us without it being a loud, noisy, or you know perceptible. Part so uh, so you know we just need we just need to be able to expel the gas that's created during the process of digestion and from the bacteria in our large intestine and it, it just naturally comes out and you you know you may not even know it's occurring.
1: Cool, cool. Well, let me get to his questions. I'd love to talk some more. I'm just going to make sure I get everybody's question in. Uh, caller from the eight two eight. What's your name and where are you calling from?
7: My name is Linda and I'm calling from North Carolina.
1: Hey, Linda, you were actually on the line actually before the show even started, so I'm I'm sorry I didn't get to you right. first, but go ahead and ask your question. Thanks for calling in.
7: Thank you. I was just wondering if you knew any patients that had complained with a pressure in their stomach. I know what gas feels like, but I was diagnosed with SIBO, uh, about two and a half years ago, and it took them a year and a half to find the correct antibiotic for me, I've lost a bunch of weight but at at the worst times, I have to lay or stand, I can't see it. The pressure is so bad, and I call it pressure because there's no gas, there's no burping, and I know what having gas pains feels like and I wondered if anybody if you knew of any patients that had complained of this pressure in their stomach.
3: Yes, absolutely. The, um, that is considered to be the sensation, um, generally the sensation of bloating, without there being um, without there being a swelling or distension, um, and and this is very common actually, and it's generally classified under the heading of visceral hypersensitivity, which is a very uh, unpleasant feature of IBS and or SIBO, um, which means that. We can sense, when we have this, the internal organs um, when, when we really shouldn't be able to. So the person next, sitting next to us who's normal and healthy, they cannot sense these internal organs, but we can. And the sensation is perceived as uncomfortable, if not outright painful. And in particular, the intestines are sensitive to pressure. That's one of the main things they're sensitive to. And so that is a very common very common symptom, very troubling. The the main, um, besides, of course, trying to eliminate the SIBO, um, the main way to go after this is visceral hypersensitivity itself. And um, I, I'm not an expert on that. Um, I only know a few things just off the top of my head. I know melatonin has been studied for it. I know... Um, the probiotic Vythus infantis, which is sold in drugstores as the brand Align, I know that's been studied for visceral hypersensitivity. I think there's many other things, um, but I, don't, I just can't recall them right off the top of my head. So I would, you know, talk to your doctors about that, about visceral hypersensitivity.
7: And it's called vic- visceral sensitivity?
3: Yeah, visceral, and that stands for the viscera or the organs, and then hypersensitivity.
7: Okay, I'm going to write that down so I can remember that. Because I've been to a load of doctors and nobody, they, they cured, they used those effects and the effects to cure the bacteria, which has come back once. But nobody can tell me what that pressure is caused from. So, well, I and
3: mean, you I mean, glad to so finally... Yeah, at least you've got a name you could research. But visceral hypersensitivity is mysterious in and of itself. It's quite mysterious. And and researchers are trying to figure it out. And I don't think there are good answers, but there are things studied for it. So hopefully you'll find find some help.
1: Okay. Thanks for calling. Uh, one Thanks more call, Linda. I gotta I gotta move Thank on. Thank you I, so I, much. I, okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. I'm sorry I had to cut her off, but I got a ton of people in here, and I want to get to them. Uh, I'm going to take one more call. on uh, Dr. C. Becker, uh, yeah. caller from the 704, what's your name and where are you calling from? My name's Casey, and I'm
3: calling from
1: Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Casey, you're calling from about an hour away from where I grew up, Sumter, South Carolina, so, <laughs> or two Carolina. hours away from where I grew up. But uh, thank you for calling in. What's your question for Dr. C. Becker?
3: I am um, um, on a second course of rifaximin. I was diagnosed with SIBO last fall and then it came back. And my question was, is there a specific diet that I should be on while on the antibiotics and then a protocol when coming off? I've done the specific carbohydrate diet and just your opinion about maybe supplements. What was that last part of the question? Um, your opinion about other supplementation, sort of a protocol when coming off the antibiotics to prevent reoccurrence. And I heard about the, um, what was it, was it the hyperogas?
4: Like, hyperogas? Oh, yeah,
3: Iberogas, I yeah. So for coming off of the um, antibiotics, definitely for prokinetics, that, whether it's pharmaceutical uh-huh. or natural. And in terms of diet, um, you know, doctors have different opinions about whether you should be on a diet and what kind of a diet while using antibiotics um, okay. or, or herbal antibiotics. I don't think there's one, one right way. What I feel is that been on some kind of a diet, which you have, specific carbohydrate diet, if you've been on it and, it, and it's been helping you, I definitely right. think you should stay on that. Um, did, did the specific carbohydrate diet help you? It did, and then I had limited success, and I, it just seemed to, I would still have symptoms even when I ate really clean. Yeah, this is so, so common. Um, You know, so there's two things I'm thinking of here. Uh, One thing I do when someone still has symptoms on specific carbohydrate diet is um, uh, put them on a combination of the specific carbohydrate diet and the low FODMAP diet. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think in the specific carbohydrate diet, all vegetables and fruits are allowed. Um, But it can really help if you if you actually just uh, choose the low or moderate FODMAP fruit and vegetables, that can make a huge difference on decreasing symptoms. Then again, when you do, when you do that, that means you're now limiting, limiting your diet even more. So the other strategy would be just keep trying to, um, you know, attack the SIBO with some kind of antimicrobial anti- antibiotic. Now, um, in terms of um, coming off the diet, I mean, coming off the antibiotics, I think the key thing would be to start the prokinetic to prevent relapse. And then in terms of diet, I I think it's good to just stay on what you've already been doing that's been working for at least a month um, to allow for the healing of the intestinal lining, like leaky gut and other damages that have happened. We don't really know exactly how long um, it takes to heal that lining, but the two studies done on leaky gut showed healing by one month, one month after eradication of SIBO. So a negative test. Eradication of SIBO to me means a negative test and or 90% symptom improvement. So, um, so then after a month, if, if your symptoms are now reduced, as they should be, then um, you can begin expanding the diet so that you don't have to be quite so limited. Now, other doctors um, like to use all other kinds of supplements, and these are all fine. Like, if you want to use leaky gut healing supplements, that's fine. Um, some other things to consider would be um, hydrochloric acid supplementation, but only if needed, um, and digest- digestive enzymes. These sorts of things can also help. Thank
7: you all right. so much. Yeah,
1: Casey, thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Good
7: night.
1: All right. Um, the lineup is 828 703 919-262-503, and then 518. Before we get to those questions, Dr. Seebecker, I noticed that a lot of women are calling in, and we we kind of tackled this question on the, um, the other podcast as well. But let's talk about a minute real quickly about um, the effect birth control has on people that have uh, SIBO. And also I wanted to, I actually ended up reading those papers that you sent me on the whole breastfeeding phenomenon and how if the mother's, uh, digestive system is compromised, she can pass that on to the baby. Can we tackle those, like, real quick and then get to the questions?
3: Okay, yeah, so real quick, Um, just keeping it simple, um, uh, progesterone, the hormone progesterone seems to have an effect on motility, and while I don't understand it all um, or very much, I do know that it can slow motility, uh, and so a lot of women you know, when they're um, in that part of their cycle where the progesterone is higher the last uh, two weeks before menstruation will have worse digestive symptoms or their SIBO will be worse. Um, and so birth control has uh, progesterone, and some birth control pills are just progesterone only. And when I have spoken with patients who've been on progesterone-only pills, that actually can be a cause of SIBO. I've, I've known people who've just just gotten IBS gotten SIBO just from using that birth control pill. Now, the interesting thing is, and I don't want to go on too long here, but I do not see that with um, uh, menopausal women using progesterone replacement. I don't know why, but it doesn't seem to occur there. But it does seem to occur with the birth control pill. So I don't know the answer to that. Now, the um, the other question about the passing on of the um, dysbiotic flora to your to your baby that could occur through the um, through the birth canal um, from vaginal birth. Um, and it could occur, um, so that would be the vaginal flora would be helping to colonize. And then it could occur through dendrites um, in the intestine that sample the mom's intestine and then send that through to the breast milk um, of the baby. If there's that. Um, and then there's just the colonization that can occur from the environment. So babies that aren't um, uh, vaginal, vaginally born but have cesarean section and they're in the hospital, then they can be colonized with. Super strain, theoretically, super strain hospital bacteria. So there's a whole bunch of ways that there could be some disturbances in that process.
1: Right, right, all right. So I wanted to get that out because I thought that was really, really interesting. And I took a, a, a look at those papers that you sent me on uh, PubMed, and it was like, wow, <laughs> I did not know anything about this stuff. But yeah, um, so 703 is next caller from the 703. What's your name and where you calling from?
3: Hi, my name is Jill. I'm calling from Alexandria, Virginia.
1: Hi, Jill. How are you tonight?
3: I'm doing. I'm doing okay. I, uh, I actually have, I think, a two-part question. I'm actually off of a round of Cipro, which I was a little bit surprised to be prescribed for both hydrogen and methane with my last Sibo test. I've done courses of Rifaximin before that didn't help. Um, so my question is about. Well, one is whether Cipro has been shown to be effective, um, but also the frequency of using antibiotics. So I don't feel like I'm getting better. Uh, I may be getting a little bit worse after the Cipro, actually. Um, And so I'm interested. I know that you've got the protocol, which I'm going to go back to my doctor with and be a little more insistent on trying the combination of antibiotics. And so I was curious about how long I should wait from one course of antibiotics until I take the next. Okay, so about the Cipro, um, you know, in the past that has been used for SIBO. I mean, almost all antibiotics in the past have been used for SIBO, um, but they all have much, much lower success rates than the current protocols that I mentioned, Rifaximin or Rifaximin plus Neomycin or metronidazole. Those success rates in studies are now close to 90% whereas the other um, antibiotics in the past, you know, they're down in the 40s and 50s. So, Mm. you know, it could be that that could work. Um, It's just that that's not what's showing the most effectiveness. I will say, though, that, um, you know, everybody's particular mix of bacteria in their small intestine is unique, and bacteria are definitely sensitive to different killing agents. And so... um, you know, there are, there are people that I speak to who Cipro was their, you know, their, their golden uh, treatment, and it just cleared everything for them. And then, conversely, there are spe- people I speak to that Cipro seem to initiate or cause their SIBO, and this is just chalked up to the difference of bacteria um, person to person and, and, you know, what antibiotics they're sensitive to. So that's that's my answer for question one. And then um, for question two, um, I, I don't think there's a set rule for how long you have to wait. I I always used to wait two weeks. I just felt, you know, two weeks or a month. There I know there are many gastroenterologists who, who just don't feel comfortable um, giving antibiotics quickly. They want to wait a month. If um, if that's what's going to go on, I would recommend getting on some kind of prokinetic while you're waiting so that you don't backslide. I have no proof that, <laughs> that that works. There's no studies on that. It's just what I what I like to do. Um, but, you know, sometimes what um, a strategy is, is if you, it depends on how high your gas level is. Um, sometimes you can go on antibiotics for three weeks if they're pharmaceutical. If they're herbal, instead of the standard um, treatment for um, herbal would be four weeks, but you could do six weeks or eight weeks. But for antibiotics, I don't think going longer than three weeks really, uh, really gives you any extra benefit. At least I, I haven't seen that. Um, but you, you don't even have to wait, you know, two weeks or a month. You can just turn around and go ahead. For me, what usually winds up happening is I want to get a retest. I want to meet uh, with the patient, see how they did, reassess. So there's going to be a few weeks, if not more, just while we go through that process. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. That's
2: very helpful. All
1: right. You're thank welcome. you for calling in. All right. We're going to keep this train right on rolling, Dr. Seebecker. You're popular. Uh, <laughs> caller from, call from the 919, what's your name and where are you calling from? Hello? Yes, caller from the 919, oh, what's your name?
6: Yes, my name is Yuli, and I'm calling from Franklin, North Carolina.
1: Hey, Yuli, what's your question for Dr. Seebecker?
6: Well, um, first I want to say I'm very happy to be able to speak with her. I've read all of her information and material. And uh, my situation is that I have an extremely leaky gut and was diagnosed with SIBO about a year ago. And unfortunately, I'm sensitive to just about everything, uh, including antibiotics, herbal antibiotics, and I also have an irritable bladder, besides having an irritable bowel. And so I'm really at a point where I have no idea how to proceed, and been to many doctors, and they don't know what to do. So I'm looking for something small, anything, any tiny little thing that could just help me to move forward somewhat.
3: Oh well, you know I have an idea right off the bat, but you might have already uh, pondered this. Um, my first thought is elemental diet. Um, are Well, are you I,
6: I I just tried some of that, the absorb plus um, pre digested, uh, very uh, very tasty, and I I took it for about three days, and then my it really affected my bladder, and so I'm I'm wondering if I could have the bacteria in the bladder because of the carbs that are in that uh, elemental. Uh, food source.
3: Yes. I mean, you know, about the bladder, certainly you sure could. And um, I don't know if you've been diagnosed, and you certainly don't have to say on the air here, with um, interstitial cystitis, but I just want to mention for everyone who's listening that um, interstitial cystitis is one of the associated diseases that goes along with SIBO. Um, So that's that's sort of interesting. But um, what you may want to try, if it was possibly the higher carbohydrate in the uh, form of the elemental diet that you did, you could switch to a homemade recipe. I, I have a homemade recipe on my site um, for a homemade elemental diet, and I have it in two versions. One is a lower carbohydrate, and then one is the higher carbohydrate that matches the Vivinex, um, Vivinex Plus Elemental Diet, which was the one we studied for SIBO. So mm-hmm. you could try that. You could, you know, try making it on your own and reducing the carbs and seeing how that goes. Um, i don 't know if that would work, but that 's the, that's the idea that I had. The elemental diet is very successful for for most people, not everybody but um, and how
6: long uh, how long would I stay on that two weeks is that about the yes, right two, time
3: two weeks Two weeks is the standard. Um, I know mm-hmm. Dr. Pinnapal says you want to at least get to ten days going mean, into very hard treatment it's mm-hmm. repulsive, repulsive tasting, as you know so um, at least make it to 10 days, but but 14 days is the standard. And then what you do on day 14 is you test. So you go into a facility that um, tests, or if you don't have one available, you use a mail order um, test where you can, you know, overnight it and get your results within 24 hours. Maybe you would then either take it on day 13 or 14. You'd have your results on day 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. Um, And you time it so that doesn't wind up, time you're starting so it doesn't wind up being on a weekend (laughs) and then um you know being 13 or 14 and then when you get your result then um and you know you'll have to work this through with your doctor so you can get that result right away but uh, then you'll know whether you can if it was successful it was negative you can stop the elemental diet start eating Mm -hmm. if it's still positive then the recommendation is to continue for one more week if you can (laughs) if you can (laughs) that might be tough yeah, so that's that's the way that treatment is, is done. I, I will say just as a word of encouragement on this very difficult treatment that uh, most people who do it um, are, are pleased they did it and wish that they'd done it sooner um, rather mm-hmm. than fiddling around for okay. months and months with antibiotics yeah. and antibiotics, like just get it done. But it's very hard, and most of the people that I speak with say that they just wouldn't have had the emotional wherewithal to do it until they went through all that and then they mm-hmm. knew they were ready.
6: Yes. Now let me ask you another quick question. Um in case it does hurt the bladder, I mean I can tolerate some pain, should I continue with it? Um or I don't would, like that that be,
3: idea. No, would that I don't be would like that be Okay. Yeah, I mean and you you probably want to do this under supervision with um with a doctor if you have a doctor that um handles your bladder situation, I would work in tandem with them. Um mm-hmm. And and get their feedback on this. I, I do think it'd be good to be monitored if you're going to do this treatment.
1: Okay. All right, Yuli. Well, thank, thank, thank you for calling Thank in. you
6: very much. Thank you very okay. much. Good night.
1: Good night. Thanks, Dr. Seeberg, I'm going to have to have you on the Ask Dr. Seebecker show. Man, this is <laughs> this is a lot of questions for, for people out there tonight. Um, well, so, I'm so we're going gonna... to help. What was that?
3: I said I'm so glad I can help, or at least try to help.
1: Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of people out there that need some answers to their uh, their SIBO questions. I don't think I'm going to get the bone broth tonight, but that's okay. I like uh, people getting their questions answered. So um, I, got, I think I have three more questions. I'm going to keep you over the show. It's actually nine right now. Are we okay with keeping you over for a little bit?
3: Absolutely. My beloved uh, husband is cooking dinner in the kitchen, and uh, I think I have about 20 minutes until it's ready. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. We'll get through these questions, and then I'll let you go. Caller caller from the two six two. What's your name and where are you calling from?
8: Hi, my name is Jennifer. I'm calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
1: Hey Jennifer, how are you doing tonight? What's your question for Dr. Seebecker?
8: Oh, I'm so excited for the opportunity to talk with Dr. Seebecker. Thank you for being on the show and I'm glad I saw this. Hi, Doctor Seebecker. My I'm working with a naturopathic doctor who's also um Alma mater is the uh, National College out in Portland, Oregon, and she went to your symposium in, in January. Um, I've been diagnosed with, well, we thought we I had it, SIBO, before she went. Uh, she went to your symposium, came back, we did the test. Yes, I do have it. So I've been treating. So the last year, I've been treating for colitis, dysbiosis, an extremely low SIGA result, small intestine inflammation, and uh, pancreatic function, I came from and actually now I'm currently in another bout of pretty bad adrenal fatigue. Um, I have been on the SIBO diet or the SCD um, uh, low FODMAP diet, which was put together, the um, the chart that was put together by, by you. Um, I've been on it for maybe I think I'm at day 53 or four. And um, prior to the diet, I was not a big meat eater. So I've done HCL supplementation. Um, I have um, the, the harder to treat. I have the constipation. I've got the head fog. I've got all of that. Um, also a hypothyroid, which uh, evolved with the digestive issues. So my question is, um, with, within the last couple weeks especially, I was before that I was doing so great, and then the last couple weeks, my um, symptoms have worsened, and it seems like now I'm, uh, I do have leaky gut. It hasn't been officially diagnosed, but with everything else, we're saying, yes, symptoms are leaky gut. Um, uh, it started with uh, the carrots and the squash, eating that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I think I've developed you know, an, an immune reaction to them. But now it's anything that I eat, everything is pureed, um, doing lots of fats, but everything that I eat now, I'm having a reaction to. I, I'm my fatigue and my body inflammation. It all seems to have have gotten worse. And actually now um, I'm oscillating between constipation and diarrhea, and I never used to be that way. So my question is, what could be making it worse? Why you know why or what could be making it worse? And um, also, how important is it to really av- make sure to avoid? Um, like, I have, I found there's, uh, rice in one of my supplements, rice powder in one of my supplements, or, like, lactose in one of, in my pancreatin. So, um, I guess my main concern is, oh, my God, I'm getting worse. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, gosh, I am so sorry to hear about your suffering, and, and what a complex situation. Um, thank goodness you have a good doctor <laughs> helping you through. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, um, I was just talking to the very learned Dr. Dan Kalish yesterday, um, who, uh, I don't know if you know him, wonderful functional medicine doctor, and he was suggesting to me that adrenal fatigue takes precedence over treating SIBO. And so that you mentioned having very bad adrenal fatigue, it might be that that is um, causing this flare and that treating that, putting the emphasis on treating that might, might help reverse that. I mean, I, I think you know when situations like this happen, um, these these inexplicable flares, which by the way are part of all chronic disease, particularly autoimmune and definitely SIBO, um, and they're so frustrating. I think we just have to find something to do to to turn the tide, and uh, and I always think it's it's got to be something different from <laughs> from what we've just been doing, you know. And and usually it's a little slow, but then you just turn the tide, and then it starts getting better. So my my thinking, and I don't know if it's right, um, talk it over with your doctor, would be to maybe focus on the adrenal fatigue. Now, the um, leaky gut, it does sound like that is quite troublesome. Um, You could target some supplementation at that. um, And, you know, of course, getting rid of SIBO is a good thing to do. I don't don't know where you're at on that picture. But back to um, some supplements for leaky gut, if you're not allergic to... um, To dairy, one of my favorites is colostrum. Um, And I I like uh, to choose one that's lactose-free or low-lactose. One brand I know that's like that is Symbiotics or ProSymbiotics. I know there are many good colostrum brands. I'm just mentioning that one because I know it's lactose-free. Colostrum, Uh, can you spell that? Yeah, so colostrum is C-O-L-O-S-T-R-U-M. And this is um, pre-milk of mammals. Um, of all you know humans and cows, colostrum, and so um colostrum is meant to help close the leaky gut of uh both cows, if it's from cow milk or of humans, because both cows and humans are born with uh, leaky gut, and colostrum has many functions, but that's one of the one of the functions and um it it has in it something quite special epithelial growth factor. Which you can't get anywhere else. So you know, normally what we do to help heal leaky gut is um, we use mucopolysaccharide or mucilaginous herbs, um, which are very healing to the mucous membrane. They're sometimes not the best match, I think, for SIBO because they can feed the bacteria. But if you're past SIBO, you could conservatively use them. And then, um, and then we give supplements. And you know, so these are all you know, su- you know, supplements or plant plant items, but. Colostrum is a mammal item. So it's the only place you can you can get this um, epithelial growth factor that I, that I know of. So that's one thing to consider, um, you know, is maybe focusing on the leaky gut a bit, focusing on the adrenal fatigue. Um, now, to your question about supplement ingredients, how much does it matter? That is so individual, and it's a matter of trial and error. I definitely know people that, you know, a, a little bit, a little Something just a tiny little bit of, of one of these ingredients in their supplement was was an honest trigger for them, and stopping the supplement helped. And then for other people, no, such a tiny amount doesn't matter at all. So um, there's no way to know unless you remove and put back in. You know, the challenge and trial, trial and um, challenge and elimination sort of uh, sort of way to go about it. Um, I wish I had a simple answer like, oh no, it's also tiny, it doesn't matter. But sometimes it does for people. So
1: just trial and error. Yeah, Doctor Siebeck, I gotta move on. I gotta move on. Yes, Great, uh,
8: thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you. Trying to get you out of here. <laughs> I know you're like me. <laughs> I'm you ask I find a break. <laughs> All right, yeah, we will roll on to the five zero three. Uh, <laughs> Caller from the five zero three. What's your name? Where you're calling from? Five zero three. Uh, five zero three. Going once. All right. I guess all right. All right, caller from the five one eight. What's your name and where are you calling from? Five one
2: eight. Hi, my name is Kathy, and I am from Upstate New York near Albany. Uh, I'm happy to have the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, I am a long-time sufferer of IBS, probably for 30 years or more. But in the last three years or so, I have been treated um, for uh, um, SIBO, and um, I say about, about maybe about two and a half years. It's it's definitely been a recurring situation. I'm I'm quite frustrated myself. I have uh, been through these uh, ifaxin treatments. Um, I'm also currently taking the amatiza for the uh, constipation that I suffer. I'm a very avid follower of the low FODMAP, which I feel has worked. But Unfortunately, we don't have the hydrogen and methane testing in my area. That was going to be one of my questions in terms of where can I research? You you mentioned a a mail-away type test. Um, My doctor is not really aware of that, so I wondered if you could touch on that. Um, But my question more is, because I say the recurrence maybe comes within about a four-month period and what can I do? I mean, I just can't seem to eradicate it. And um, I, I heard you talk about the elemental diet, and um, maybe you could just talk about what to, you recommend in between.
3: Well, and yeah. Um, have, you been, have you been put on a prokinetic along with your diet?
2: N- that, no. And that, that's why I, I heard you touch on that, and I, I, I'm not really familiar with that.
3: Yeah, so, so that's just the, the key, key thing. Um, I find you know for prevention of relapse, actually, for, holding for four months is pretty, pretty good actually, comparatively to most of the patients I see. Um, that's not that bad, really. Yeah, so um, really the essential preventions are um, some kind of low carb diet, which you're on. You're on an excellent one, which is low fodmap, and then a prokinetic. So, um, so I would talk to your doctor about getting on one and I'll just briefly, I'll re-mention them. It would be low-dose erythromycin, and I have these all on my website underneath prevention. I think it's under treatment prevention. Um, and then there's um, LDN, which is low-dose naltrexone, and then there's um, That That's not FDA-approved in our country, um, but for anyone listening from from another country, or if you're traveling to another country, you can obtain it um, if your doctor gives you a prescription. And um, and then the natural ones, those are the main three that we use for, um, for SIBO. Then the natural ones would be Ginger, Modal Pro, or Iberogast. Now, my personal experience, because I, I tend to see more severe cases of SIBO just because by nature of the fact that I'm a specialist, um, is that I haven't found the natural prokinetics to be strong enough for most of my patients. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't even find the pharmaceutical ones to be strong enough for my patients. So it's, it's no fault of the natural things. It's just that I see really tough cases. So I think you know, a four-month relapse. I mean, you're just missing an essential um, component of prevention. So um, Prokinetics have been Dr. Pimentel is who came up with this idea um, for prevention of SIBO relapse, and it's been in his treatment algorithm since 2006. And so it's just it's just unfortunate that your doctor or doctors are just aren't aware of this um, of this algorithm, and that this is part of essential part of prevention. So that. That is what I'm thinking is the issue. Now, for your first question about mail order tests, um, you can look on my website underneath um, resources testing, and I have a list of mail order um, laboratories there. Some of them are um, just by name are Commonwealth, Genova, um, my own clinic's lab does um, mail in. That's NCNM Clinic Lab. So your doctor can simply call these companies and set up an account and place an order, um, and they they just are mailed mail to you, either to to the doctor or to the patient, you do the test at home, um, the collection at home, and then you mail it back in.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, uh, thank you. I'm definitely going to look into that, and I so much appreciate it. Um, it's just, you know, after going through the continued treatments, and I, I feel like I'm in a great pattern, and then I fall back into the, the same old and I, I don't need a, a test to know that I've got SIBO back. You know, and
3: that is that is the way it is for so many people. They they know their specific symptoms. They know when it's there and when it's gone. They know the exact symptom that identifies now the SIBO is coming back. And so just, just you know, I don't know if it, you know, there's strength in numbers here, if it helps to hear it. But, you know, this relapse is, is the standard. And, and it's because of what we talked about in the beginning of the show, because the underlying causes of SIBO, Um, are there and they're very hard to fix and so and you know using antibacterials are not addressing those underlying causes therefore relapse is expected it's it's very frustrating Um, but the norm
1: all right
2: well thank you so much for the opportunity
1: yeah thanks for calling in thanks all right i got about 15 minutes left in the show and i want to get dr c out of here um, so you got to make your question quick. And the next caller is from the 707. Caller from the 707, what's your name and where are you calling from?
9: Hi, I'm Terry from Santa Rosa, California.
1: Hi, Terry. What's your question Hi. for Dr. Seebecker?
9: Boy, encapsulate this real fast. Uh, I definitely have SIBO. Um, I have leaky gut, adrenal fatigue, stage 2. Um, I have Hashimoto's. And the problem I'm having right now um, is, well, I've had for a long, long time, is the severe constipation. I don't digest protein. And so I've basically been eating, living on vegetables. I've dropped so much weight that it's getting scary. Um, I've been working with Jordan Reisner, and we cannot seem to solve the constipation problem. And me being able to digest protein, I... I've taken the hydrochloric acid, enzymes, I've done all that, I'm on colostrum. I'm basically doing the protocol, it's just I cannot get the the protein, and so I'm living on also carbs, and that's feeding the SIBO, which is keeping me sick and bloated and gassy. And the confusion I have, too, is that because I have constipation, but my uh, SIBO numbers for the, uh, uh, the PPM is basically low numbers in the one range, zero to one, uh, which would in, to me indicate that I didn't have constipation, but yet I have severe constipation. So I guess my question is, is how do you rectify the protein? Uh, because otherwise I am just keep feeding the SIBO because I cannot get off the carbs.
3: Boy, that's tough. Um, you know, can I, before I answer the protein one, can I can I ask you something about the constipation? When you say that to zero to one, you mean methane? The methane, yes. Sorry. Okay, yeah. Um, I want to just address that first. The um, you know certainly it could be that your constipation is caused by something else. Uh, you know, clearly that's the first thing we would need to consider. Um, you know, some other cause of constipation. But having said that. Uh, very interestingly, Dr. Pimentel has found that uh, there's a, a level of, of the methanogen, the um, organism that produces methane, the methanosmithii, uh, um, Smithii, there's a level at which that is present in the stool but does not show up on the breath test because the breath test is not sensitive enough. It's in parts per million, and we would need the test to be in parts per billion. And so what that could mean is a person could even have a negative methane breath test, which is just about what you have. Um, You you have some ones. And still have enough of this organism producing enough methane to cause constipation. So I just thought that would be interesting for you to know. Now, yeah. um, in terms of the protein, I mean, you know, God, Jordan's a smart guy, and he's done everything I would have done. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I really am not sure what's going on there. I have ideas. I The ideas I have I bet you've already tried, which are um, things like, you know is there, for instance, can you tolerate a hydrolyzed protein hydrolyzed protein is um, partially enzymatically digested It's quite special and you have to look for that it's not food you know it's a, it's a it's a powder which I don't like the idea, but it would be interesting mm-hmm. to see that any better um, you know and are there are there different proteins that are tolerated? Could it be that there are different proteins that are tolerated better um, I than been,
9: yeah I haven't been too successful with any powdered proteins at all. Uh, I think, like uh, that
3: the um key there would be to buy a hydrolyzed one and you know if you've already tried it then you've already tried it. <laughs> what is <laughs> what know, is a
9: hydro what is a hydrolyzed protein I'm not familiar?
3: hydrolyzed means um enzymatically digested. So it will have to say hydrolyzed somewhere on the label or bottle. It's it's quite specific and different okay. than um than a normal protein. So okay. I you know, I would look for that and see if that's any different. That and that could give Jordan some clues of where to go. Okay, um, and then um and then, like I said, you know, I, I often talk to people who, you know, they can't they can't tolerate beef, but they can tolerate, you know, whitefish, that sort of thing. Um, so trying around some particularly particularly whitefish seems to be tolerated very well by many people. I've, you done, I've done
9: that. Nope, nope, I nope. can't. Okay.
3: See, I had a feeling you'd already tried it. After this, I'm out of ideas. It's a tough yeah. one, and I'm so sorry. You know, the only other thing I can think of is to... Um, to do what you can to... Um... Now, do you have any hydrogen positive on your test? Uh, uh,
9: yes. I, the hydrogens, I, my highest number would be 36, but that's what included, includes the uh, methane, which is one.
3: Okay. And so that, you're was, still... that was at 120 Wait. minutes. Yeah, so you're still technically positive for SIBO um, of the yes. hydrogen type, and so the other idea is just to um, just strategy get that down and see if that um, doesn't help you to then be able to tolerate the carbohydrates that you must rely on, you know, so that would that would be the other option. Yes, I'm sorry, I didn't follow that one. Okay, so if you, um, if you can get your test to be negative, if you can get mm-hmm. the SIBO the you have currently, if you can get that gone, then the idea would be, you know, through some kind of, you know, I'm, I'm assuming he's using herbal antibiotics. Um, right. Then... Then once you get that test down, this would be the strategy because then once your SIBO is gone, well then you can tolerate carbohydrates better.
4: Right.
3: Um, well, the problem the
9: problem is is when I do the try to do the uh, natural antimicrobials because I'm eating so many carbs, I just I get I get so sick I can't function. And so I just, I had to stop them. I couldn't even do that. I'm now thinking about trying to go on the rifromaxin and and seeing if that will,
4: in doing a two-week
9: course, and then going on to the erythromycin as the uh, prokinetic and see if that that helps. I also have Hashimoto's that's not being treated. Okay.
3: Yes, it would very much help to, to focus on that as well. And I think your idea is a very good one. And you may want to consider combining the um, rifaximin with either neomycin or metronidazole since you have the symptom of constipation. Although, if you add those in, that double antibiotic, you are likely to get worse die-off. Um, and so, you know, and that's been very tough for you, that die-off. There are some it strategies is. to die-off, you know, and I'm sure Jordan can help you with that too. Right.
1: Yeah, right. I got yeah, i got to move on. I've I got, got, got time for maybe two more questions, okay?
9: All right. Thank you All right. so much. Thank I really you. appreciate
1: it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks Bye-bye. for calling in. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. All right, Dr. Keefecker. <laughs> I think we we can take two more because the show is going to actually cut off here if we, if we don't uh, <laughs> get through here. Uh, who did I just do? It just blanked out on me here. Yeah. All right, so caller from 847, what's your name, where you're calling from?
9: Hi, uh, my name is Laura, and I'm calling from the Chicago area, and I uh, was diagnosed with SIBO um, about five years ago, and I was actually trying to find a, a doctor in the area that was um, well, could be
3: recommended and was wondering if you could recommend somebody that could help me with my treatment. Yeah, you know, I don't know anyone um personally in that in the Chicago area, but what I usually recommend people do is call um call two of the breath testing companies and mm-hmm. um and ask them if they know of doctors you know who who use their um who who've either purchased their equipment or use their testing facilities in your area and then by that way you'll know someone who's familiar at least they're familiar enough with siba that mm-hmm. would at least that's a you know a step forward so um those companies are um they're the manufacturer of the breast test machine. And um, Commonwealth Labs is um, a, a national mail order uh, breast testing company, SIBO company. And I have them listed on my website under Resources Testing so you can get their okay. contact information. I'd call them and, and see if they can help you find a doctor. and I think that usually does work for people. Okay. And my doctor did know about the
9: test and then the... The uh, rifaxin antibiotics, but then couldn't really help me pass that, and I did not really see um, my symptoms didn't get better when I took those antibiotics. But I did only take them once.
3: Yeah, um, you know, oftentimes that happens for people because their gas level um, is is high. Do you recall what your gas level was at? I do not, but I know that it showed up very quickly when I started the breath test. Right, so like. Soon. So that usually means you have more proximal um, or higher up overgrowth. But very often, what can happen for people is they take one round, and you know, and it, it works to bring their gas level down, say like 30 parts per million or some amount. Um, but they're still positive because their gas was high. It's going to need multiple rounds. And so this can be confusing to people, and they think, oh, well, you know, that antibiotic didn't help me very much. But if you if you can keep retesting, you can see if it truly is having an effect or not. Um, yeah, okay. but it sounds like you're you're looking for someone who might have a little bit more experience. (laughs) So um, hopefully those lab companies can help you find someone.
4: Okay,
9: great. Thank you.
1: All right. Thanks for calling. Thank you. All right. One more (coughs) question, Dr. Sepecker, here. Um, Let me see. Caller from the 503, what's your name and where you're calling from? 503, what's your name, where are you calling from? You
5: should
1: call All right, well, I'm going to move on here. Um, All right, well, call from the 631, what's your name and where are you calling from?
0: Hi, uh, my name is Gloria Kotcher, and I'm calling hey, from New York. Hey,
1: right, Gloria, how are you? What's your question for Dr. Seebecker?
0: yes uh doctor um, i am uh, i'm about to uh embark upon the elemental diet
1: can you turn your uh whether your radio down or computer down yes. Okay. Gloria? i'm a, yes
0: i'm about to embark upon upon the elemental diet um and i also want to know uh the doctor mentioned something about colostrum earlier and i had walked away i missed part of that. I think what I understood her to say was that um, it's used to heal the leaky gut, but I've been uh, under the impression that I'm able to use that possibly to help me also destroy the bacteria in my gut. Is that correct?
3: Yes, um, it's true. The colostrum... um has actually immunoglobulins in it, um, a feature of uh, our immune system, and it stimulates our own immune system. So it is a, a great help in fighting infection in general.
0: So, so this can I got take a- that instead of taking uh, uh, the antibiotics, the natural or the pharmaceutical ones?
3: Well, you could try it. Um, I don't think that's ever uh, been – well, I know it's never been studied. It's not been studied for SIBO. I don't know if it's strong enough. I think that would depend on how how high your gas level was. Um, I think it might take some time. It's worth trying if your symptoms aren't that bad that you want to get it gone quick. Um, It'd be an experiment, and I'd love to hear the results.
0: Well, can can I take that while while uh, on the elemental diet diet also?
3: I think um, technically it would be best if you didn't so that – so that you were just purely doing... The, the, thing would, the thing of it is is that the elemental diet is so difficult and onerous, um, you kind of don't want to, unless you're okay with this, you may not want to experiment during it um, with something like colostrum because what if that had a negative impact on the result and then you had to go through the whole horrible procedure again, you know, doing the okay. elemental diet. So I, I think you might just want to wait.
0: All right. And one other question. I do have... I'm allergic to dairy, now I'm wondering if uh, that taking colostrum would uh, bring up the uh, the my side effects that I usually get when I do ingest dairy.
3: Yes, it could. There are people who are allergic to dairy. That uh, I'm sorry, who are allergic to colostrum. It triggers them in a similar way to dairy. It it could. It it could be something that's not suitable for you.
0: Because they said they had said something to me. The company that I had ordered this from. They said they have a spray that I can take two weeks prior to uh, taking the classroom that would kind of, I guess, regulate, I think, that would be.
3: Yes, that's absolutely right. Um, Dr. Keech, uh, he's the doctor of as I like to call him. Yeah, he, he speaks about that, and um, that's certainly something you can give a try. And uh, um, the spray is an excellent thing as well. Yeah, you
0: can try and see if it makes a difference. Okay. All right. All right. Okay, guys, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Yeah,
1: thank you, Gloria. Bye, right, yeah. now. Bye. All right. No more questions. Actually, we got about three minutes left in the show. Dr. Seebecker, thank you so much for coming on. I had no idea that we had this many people out there who needed their questions, answers on uh, SIBO. Actually, I didn't get a chance to even talk about bone broth at all, all tonight.
3: And you know what? I prepared, too. I have a whole little paper I here. Know you to I know you did.
1: I I read your website front and back last night. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be so prepared for bone broth. But you know what? I'd love for you to come back and we can talk about that. Or maybe we can just do a Ask Dr. Seebecker show where people can call in and get their questions answered, and I'll just introduce you and shut my mouth and let people call in and ask questions on their SIBO because we had a lot of people on the switchboard that I did not get to tonight, and I do apologize for that. But I don't want to take up Dr. C. Uh, all of her evening and I didn't schedule this, so for other than about an hour and 30 minutes, and normally I let my guests go after an hour. So thank you so much for <laughs> staying over with me, Dr. Seebacker.
4: My pleasure.
1: Okay. Um, I'm going to get in contact with you. Maybe we can do this again in another two two months or so. I know you need a break from us. You had me and Diane, then you just got me, so you need a break. <laughs> so.
3: I'll take it. I'll take a break.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you for calling in and enjoy your night. Thank your your husband for for giving us some some time with you tonight.
4: I will. Thanks, Darren. Okay.
1: Thank you. All right. I'm sorry if you didn't get your questions answered. I've never seen this many people in my switchboard, but I love helping people. And those of you who did get your questions answered, thank you for calling in. Next week I'll have Dr. Stephanie Sniff on on Wednesday on the 14th, and we'll actually be talking about sulfur, which is one of those under – Uh, utilize or overlook uh, nutrients. So we'll have Dr. Stephanie Sniff and then the week after I have Eric Nies on who was part of the real world. He's the first season of the real world and he's doing a lot of great things with helping people with addiction. So look for those two people and I hope that you join me for the rest of my shows. My show is really building and like I said I love people uh, helping people with their health and wellness. But again, thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Same fat time, same fat channel. Peace. Thank you.